Mill City Church, what a gift to be with you today. Uh, I absolutely love your church. I love your pastor, Aaron Stern. Aaron has been a dear friend of mine for a number of years, and uh, him and Jossie and the work that they're doing in your church is just an inspiration. And so uh, it's also a gift to serve as one of your overseers, uh, and I hope to see you in person one of these days, but I'm glad to share a bit of scripture with you today. Uh, you've been in this series, a remarkable series, uh, through the Lord's Prayer, and we get to wrap up our time today with two words that Jesus says, or a couple of statements that Jesus says as he closes out this prayer that he teaches us. And so Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 13, uh, it says these words. It says, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's what we are going to focus our time on as we wrap up uh, this part of Jesus's prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the gift it is uh, to worship you, the gift it is to come under the hearing of Holy Scripture and to allow our lives to be shaped by your love. Lead us today. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to receive every gift you've given us today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, this week when I was driving, I came across a bumper sticker that caught my attention. Many bumper stickers at least in New York, uh, have a lot to do with religion or politics or some proud parent letting uh, us know that their kid is smarter than everybody else's kid, you know, those bumper stickers. But this week I came across a bumper sticker that stood out to me because it related to this text in particular. And the bumper sticker said, lead me not into temptation, I can find the way myself. Lead me not into temptation, I can find the way myself. And when I saw that bumper sticker, I thought, that's absolutely true. Because we know how to find our way into temptation because temptation is presented to us on a regular basis. There's temptation all around us. For those of us who pass by Krispy Kreme donuts, how hard is it not to walk into that store and enjoy one or 17 of those donuts? When we go into uh, the mall, some of us go into the mall just to window shop, to, to just look at things we want to get. And, and, and one hour later, we're walking out the mall with bags in our hands and a smile on our face and debt in our credit card. Uh, we know what it's like to enter into temptation and to be overtaken by temptation. Lead me not into temptation. I could find the way myself. Temptation comes up, and the theme of temptation comes up over and over again in the scriptures. From the very beginning of the Bible, we see temptation surface. Adam and Eve don't get two pages into the Bible when they are confronted with temptation. Joseph, later on in the book of Genesis, would be tempted. David, a man after God's own heart, would be tempted repeatedly. Jesus, the son of the living God, would be tempted on a regular basis. To be tempted doesn't mean that we are bad people. To be tempted is a sign that we are human beings. And as, and as broken, frail human beings, we are subject to temptation. Now, I came across this week 
the top nine temptations that people face. And, and I don't know if this, this order is true for everyone, but as I looked at these nine uh, areas of temptation, I thought, yes, yes, yep, here it is. And these were the top nine related to temptation. It said the top nine are lying and gluttony and envy and lust and bitterness and laziness and self-centeredness, pride and materialism. Have you ever been tempted along those lines? And so temptation, because it is a force that's around us and within us, this part of the prayer of Jesus is so important for us to pay attention to. Now, what I love about Matthew chapter 6 is Matthew chapter 6 and this prayer in particular, these disciples come up to Jesus and they ask him a question. This is the only time in the scriptures where the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to do something. Never in the scriptures do you see the disciples say, can you teach us how to pray? Can you uh, teach us how to preach? Can you teach us how to prophesy? Can you teach us how to cast out demons? No, the only thing that they ask Jesus to teach them to do is to pray. And the reason I think this is so is because they saw Jesus' life, they saw his love, they saw his power, and they could only conclude one thing. The reason why he has authority, the reason why he lives with intimacy with the Father, the reason why he has this life and this joy and this peace is one connection. He knows how to pray. And so they say, Jesus, can you teach us how to to pray. And so Jesus teaches them how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then here it is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, many scholars say that this part of the prayer is the most difficult to interpret. And there's a lot of opportunity for misunderstanding. And so for a moment, I just want to look at this passage to say, uh, what does it not mean? And then what does it mean? Now, first of all, let's talk about what it doesn't mean. To say, lead us not into temptation does not mean that God causes people to be tempted. To be tempted means to be enticed away from God and the way of the kingdom of God. That's not something God does, which is why in the book of James, James says, let no one say when they are tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and God himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Listen, God tempts no one. God does not need to tempt me. I can do fine all by myself. And so number one, God does not lead people into temptation. Secondly, we have to get at what this word means. The word temptation is, in the Greek language, is this word perosmos, perosmos. And, and this word is, is combines testing and temptation. Testing and temptation. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray this prayer, it's, it's like he's saying this. He's helping us to pray this. Lord, please don't test me because I know I'm going to fail. I know myself. Don't let me be put to the test. Uh, Dallas Willard, the philosopher at the University of Southern California, said to pray this part of this prayer is a vote of no confidence 
in our ability. And so to pray this part of the prayer and end in this way really is an affirmation. And here's the affirmation. We are far more weak and vulnerable than we think. We are far more weak and vulnerable than we think. This is something that we don't like to confess about our lives. We want to be strong. We want to be competent. We want to be intelligent. We don't like to confess. I don't like to confess that we are weak and more vulnerable than we think. And this is why praying the Lord's Prayer is so important and something that we should be doing every single day because it reminds us of who we are. And yet, we live in a world that does not confess weakness much. We confess our strength and we like to live in our strength. Just think for a moment of our job interviews. When we go through a job interview, we don't show our weaknesses and rightfully so. When someone says, who's interviewing you, tell me, it's the, it's the age-old interview question, tell me what some of your weaknesses are. It's very interesting how we respond to that question on the interview. Because what we don't say is, you know, I have a hard time getting up in the morning, uh, I don't get along with people, uh, I don't like when the supervisor uh, gives me feedback, I steal paper clips, all the rest. We don't say any of those things on the job interview. What we say is, uh, my weakness is just, I am just such a perfectionist. That, that is my weakness. I'm such a perfectionist. And I get it. On the job interview, it might make sense not to talk about you stealing the paper clips uh, and to say I'm such a perfectionist. But it gets at this idea that many of us have a hard time embracing our weakness. And I'm not just talking about job interviews. I'm talking about life. I'm talking about church. I'm talking about family. I'm talking about our relationships. And yet time and time again, what we find in the scriptures is that God is attracted to weakness. God, weakness is attractive to God. Vulnerability is attractive to God. And the sooner we can live into our weakness and live and embrace our vulnerability, the more we find ourselves attracted to God and attractive to God. Look at the scriptures for a moment to see who God uses. Moses was insecure. Jacob lied. Rahab was a prostitute. Hosea married a prostitute. Jonah ran, David cheated, uh, Paul was irritable, Thomas doubted, Peter denied knowing Jesus, Noah got drunk, all the rest. What we find in the scriptures over and over again are people who are weak, people who are vulnerable, people who have some issues. And these are the people who God wants to use. And so when Jesus says to have us pray, lead us not into temptation, He's saying it's important for us to recognize something about ourselves, that it's very easy for us to go astray. I'm reminded of the late and great actor Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, many of you know uh, Seymour Hoffman was uh, found dead in his apartment a few years ago, having died of a drug overdose. And I read reports that said he had 70 bags of heroin in his Manhattan apartment. And as I read the story, I came across an article from Slate Magazine written by a director from MIT. And this is how the article begins. 
It says, I cried when I heard about Philip Seymour Hoffman. The news scared me. He got sober when he was 22 and didn't drink or use drugs for the next 23 years. During that time, he won an Academy Award, was nominated for three more, and was widely cited as the most talented actor of his generation. He also became a father to three children. Then one day in 2012, he began popping prescription pain pills. And now he's dead. The article is about, quote, the ever-present danger of relapsing. Now listen to me, your addiction might not be heroin, but we all have our weaknesses. We all have our vulnerabilities. And one of the ways that this prayer is to shape us is to have us to say, Lord, you know I'm capable of failing the test. Lord, you know I'm capable of relapsing, whether it is relapsing into drugs or to another addictive behavior or to faulty thinking. Lord, you know it doesn't take much for me to fall. In this way, we have a lot in common with Philip Seymour Hoffman. But here's the paradox of living in the kingdom of God. We are called to be people who, not, who don't run from weakness, but actually run to it. We're called to be a people who embrace a spirituality of brokenness, which is why I say at New Life Fellowship Church, in our congregation, I often say, especially to new people, if you are perfect, you're going to mess up our church. <laughs> if you are perfect, you're going to mess up our church. Why? Because our church is a place for broken people. Our church is a place for weak people. And Mill City Church, this applies to us as well and to you as well. A anyone who's perfect is going to mess up your church because the church is for people who are broken. The church is for people who have significant gaps, significant weakness, and we are called to embrace this truth. And so to live into this truth requires a couple of things. It requires us to live with a kind of prayerful dependence upon God. This prayer is to orient us deep into dependence on God because I know myself. I know my weaknesses. I know my vulnerabilities. I need to depend on God, which is why every single day when I, when I sit down to pray and open my hands before God, I need to remind myself, God, I need something of your life. I need something of your grace. I need something of your strength because I know myself prone to wander, as the hymn goes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. This invites us to a life of prayerful dependence, but it also calls us to a life to become a community of brokenness. And Mill City, I hope this is what we are living into as well, that we are called to be a community of broken people who embrace our brokenness, which positions us to receive the grace and the strength of God. At our church at New Life in Queens, for a number of years we have hosted uh, Narcotics Anonymous and Alcohol Anonymous uh, groups for people in our neighborhood. And there have been times where I've been working and I've passed by uh, the meeting room and I would just listen in for a few minutes as I hear people talk about their brokenness, their vulnerabilities. And as I listen into their stories and their confessions, I'm blown away by what I see. That in these NA and AA meetings, there is something 
of the presence of God in this space. There's something about brokenness that's attractive to God. And as I think about those meetings, I think about something that the theologian David Fitch said. He, he wrote an article called, Why the Church Should Be Like an AA Meeting. And this is what he said. He said, I contend a church gathering should be like a good AA meeting. An AA meeting gathers people together who are admitted alcoholics. They bring together their full awareness of themselves before one another and engage in a ritual of being present to one another in their sin. When they gather, they recite the first step, that they are powerless over alcohol. It is not unlike the corporate confession in the Christian gathering. They acknowledge that they must surrender to a power greater than themselves if they are to regain sanity. They hear from one another. Often, like a good sermon, they receive a challenge from the AA Big Book. They commit to a total practice of reconciliation. They encounter this reality in all its brute force. And then in this moment, they gain the sustenance to live life faithfully for another day. I want you to hear that. The church is to be like an AA meeting where our lives are marked by brokenness, weakness, confession, which positions us to receive the grace of God. Of God. Lord, lead me not into temptation. I am so weak. I am so vulnerable. I am prone to fail. And then Jesus wraps it up with the last verse here, the last portion of the prayer that I want to spend my last 10 minutes on. He says, Lead me not into temptation, or lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. One of my favorite books is written by C.S. Lewis, and it's called The Screwtape Letters. And it's a book about how a senior devil instructs his nephew, a junior devil, in the art of temptation. And in the introduction of the book, C.S. Lewis writes that there are two errors that people have about devils and demons and evil. And he says these words. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which humans can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And the devils themselves are equally pleased by both errors. At Mill City, I imagine there's some who, who really uh, have no uh, imagination or, or, or no category for uh, demonic and others who might think about it a bit too much. But wherever we fall on the spectrum, what Jesus reminds us is that there is a power, a force, an evil presence that is luring us and trying to tempt us away from God. And so Jesus recognizes the temptations are not just something that comes from within us, what we see in James as well, but there's a force outside of us as well that we must be mindful of. And what Jesus invites us into pray is that God would deliver us. Deliver us from the evil one. Uh, the New Testament scholar Dale Bruner said that that word deliver is actually like, it's, it's a violent term. It's a, it's a strong term. It, it means to snatch away. It means that the evil one is trying to lure us into the evil one's trap. 
And God is the one who can deliver us, snatch us out of it. And so when we pray, Lord, deliver us, we're saying, Lord, I know how deep I can get into this. I know how trapped I can be. I cannot rescue myself. My intelligence is not going to rescue me. My, my wisdom is not going to rescue me. My education, my networks, my connections, my money, it's not going to rescue me. I need you to snatch me out. Lord, I'm drawn to destructive behavior, destructive thinking. Snatch me out. Lord, snatch me away from destructive relationships. Snatch me away from negative thinking. Snatch me away from addictive behavior. Snatch me away from, from debilitating anxiety. Snatch me away. Deliver me from evil. And, I, and it's important to note that last part, evil, some translations say evil, some translations say the evil one, but whether we translate it evil or evil one, what we have to recognize is that there are powers in the world that are active. Paul calls them powers and principalities in Ephesians chapter 6. And we must be mindful of the temptations of the evil one. Now, it's important for us to have this kind of language, but it's also important for us to nuance this. Because the evil one has schemes that actually do not look evil. And this is what we have to be mindful of when it comes to temptation in particular. The evil one's schemes are not outright evil. When we think about the evil one, Satan, we think of a guy with a pitchfork in his hand and a red costume and, and, a, and a bad mustache and all the rest there. Uh, but the evil one does not come in that kind of form. And temptation does not come in that kind of form. You know, it would actually be great if every temptation came with a warning label, kind of like warning. This sin will bring disharmony to your life with God. It'd be nice to have that. Warning, this sin will cost your reputation. Warning, this sin is going to ruin your marriage. Warning, this sin is not going to be addressed in the next five years. It's going to take you 10 years, 20 years to get over it. It'd be really nice to have those kind of warnings, and yet that's not how the world operates, and that's not how the evil one operates. The evil one does not come in an ugly, repulsive manner. The evil one comes as an angel of light. And the evil one has really one big temptation that comes in various forms. The temptation of the evil one ultimately is to have us distrust in the Father's love. Distrust the Father's love. This is why... The first two words of the Lord's Prayer might be the most important that we come back to over and over again. Our Father. Our Father. Those two words are so important because that is who we are in relationship with. A good, grace-filled, providing Father. And when the evil one comes our way, the evil one comes to have us doubt in the goodness, in the kindness and the love of the Father. The evil one comes in voices loud and small. Voices deep down in our soul that says, God's not for you. Look at your life. If God was for you, your life would be much different. The evil one comes and says, look at all the fun you're missing out by following God. Look how long God has you waiting. Look out for yourself. 
If God really loved you, you would not be suffering as much as you are. The evil one comes on a regular basis to do one thing, really, to have you distrust in the love of God. Isn't this what got Adam and Eve in trouble in the beginning of the garden? That they distrusted in the provision, in the love of God in the garden. And the evil one's temptations really are actually quite simple if you think about it. The evil one wants to get us to reject God as a good father and to get us to see, peop see us ourselves as people that God cannot love. Which is why in prayer, one of the most important tasks before us is to do the work of distinguishing God's voice of affirmation from the evil one's voice of accusation. This is the essence of prayer. Distinguishing God's voice of affirmation from the evil one's voice of accusation. And here's what I know about the evil one. He's unrelenting. He's going to keep coming at you, tempting you away from the love of the Father, from the grace of the Father, from the kindness of the Father, which is why we need a power outside of ourselves. And so when our Lord Jesus Christ says to pray, lead us not into temptation, he's saying, recognize that you're weak, that you're vulnerable, that you're broken, that you cannot rescue yourself. But Lord, deliver us from the evil one. Only you can deliver. Only God can deliver. Only God can save. And that's what we confess on this day. We confess that God is Savior, that God is liberator, that God is healer, that God is deliverer, and that God is attracted to those of us who are broken and recognize our vulnerabilities. And it is to those people that when we cry out to God, God loves to reach down and rescue. Here's the question as we close. Where do you need to confess weakness? Where do you need to confess vulnerability? Where do you need to confess brokenness? Where do you need rescue from God? Maybe it is in addictive behaviors. Maybe it is in faulty thinking. Maybe it is in generational patterns that are repeated from one generation to the next. But wherever we are in the journey, we serve a God who can snatch us out of the pit. May we confess our weakness our brokenness, our vulnerabilities, and may we find salvation in the name of the Lord. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of Holy Scripture. Thank you for the gift of this prayer, this prayer that you have given us to pray, taught us to pray. And may this prayer be on our lips every single day. May we confess to you, to ourselves, and to one another the areas of sin and weakness and brokenness. And may we find in you surprising victory, liberation, salvation, and rescue. We give you thanks for your word today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace to you, friends. A joy to be with you in this way.